Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. Uh, This week, taking us inside his working day, we've got the mystery and thriller writer, Rory Clements. He talks about writing the dark charisma of atrocious people in his brand new book, Hitler's Secret. We also learn why he can only ever work at night, how he's forced himself to do that, almost unwittingly, over time. Uh, And we hear about how much he knows about the story before he starts. I've always got a very strong idea of what the ending of the book is unfair on a reader to lure them into a book get them excited and then the end just falls away mm. you've got to have a good ending I think you, anybody who's got through through three or four hundred pages of a book they deserve uh, a good day new more I think so there's all that and more on the way this week with Rory Clements in writer's routine <laughs> Yes. Hello, my name's Dan. This is Writer's Routine, the show where very simply we take a sneak peek inside the working day of some of the world's most successful authors uh, to try and steal some of their scheduling secrets for ourselves. This week, our guest is Rory Clements. He's got a new book out in his Tom Wilde series. It's set during World War II. It's called Hitler's Secret. It's all about Tom, who is dispatched to Germany to to retrieve uh, a mysterious package containing what the secret actually is and he has to work out if this is something that he can live with something that needs to be made public or if he should get involved along the way now it's a secret from hitler's life that threatens to completely destabilize the nazi regime and it's it's a visceral book too it really brings to life uh, what life was like back then I, I think as well as a novel really can ever manage and there's got a fascinating thriller uh, with a, an amazing mystery right at the core. It's the fourth in the Tom Wilde series. He's also written the John Shakespeare books, which are more historical mysteries. We've had quite a lot of these on the show recently. I mean, I'm in a little bit of a, a historical fiction bent right now. I've just started reading Wolf Hall, so that probably explains everything. We also talk about how he writes about life in World War II and about the Nazi regime. We've spoken about this recently. How did they go about writing historical fiction? Very simply, they weren't there. How do you bring it to life so so viscerally? Also, we hear from Rory about what responsibilities he has when he does paint the pictures of these people and tell these stories from history. We also chat about why he's trained himself or almost forced himself, kind of begrudgingly, to only work at night and why playing tennis and escaping to the country has played a huge part in his writer's routine. 
So stick around, all that on the way. Also, there's stuff about being a journalist in there and what that's taught him about how to write uh, so, so succinctly and concisely but descriptively as well. It's all on the way this week with Rory Clements in Writer's Routine. And we start, as always, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Uh, I've got a big picture window which looks out on the back garden where there was a bird table, but the bird table's now collapsed this winter, so I'm going to have to build a new one there. Uh, whether with the weight of a large bird that landed on it, I've no idea. Or <laughs> I think the wood just rotted away. Uh, I've got two big book cases, which can't hold all the books I have. And so I've had to take an awful lot of them upstairs, and still there isn't enough room, so I, have, I buy hundreds and hundreds of books, and they... Uh, they're all over the floor, all over the desk. Um, Anything on the walls? I've got a 16th century map of London, and I've got two paintings by my beautiful wife. Uh, uh, one of uh, three, sorry, three pictures. Two are uh, pastels, they're nude, uh, pastels of nudes, and one is uh, a small painting of a goldfinch, which is remarkable. Uh, I've got an old paint watercolour from the 19th century which I inherited from my mother. Just a little domestic scene of, uh, uh, of a cottage with a wife and two children. And I have got a small postcard which I found in America of a Hopi Indian girl. Now Hopis were one of the tribes of the West Coast, I think. And there's something about this girl's face. It's from 1901, this photograph. that. It haunts me, and it's right in front of my computer screen. So if I raise my eyes from the computer, there she is, this Hopi Indian girl. Begs the question, why do you want to be haunted every time you look up from your computer? Only in a good way. I, I just, I'm intrigued by her. No, there's something, something about it. If you, if you put, actually, if you Google Hopi Indian maiden, you'll probably find this picture, because I, I think it's quite a famous picture. It's not something unique to me. Because you escaped up to Norfolk, haven't you? We have. Uh, we, lay, we, we moved here from London. I, I, you know, I, I, I went to school in Kent, but uh, most of my career has been uh, on national newspapers in London until we moved up to Norfolk. So this might be an utterly banal question and ridiculously pointless. Do, do you find there's a difference between romantically writing hidden away in the country and writing in busy, burly London? Yes, it's very quiet, as you'll probably... Do discover I write very late at night when it's absolutely silent except for the odd owl or the howling of a fox or something outside um no phone doesn't go four in the morning well, still writing away and it's very quiet well you're you're, you're getting there now you, you tease uh, let's do it so the show is writer's routine Rory talk us through yours the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write how does it look I tend to wake up about 10 o'clock in the morning you wake uh, up at 10 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. That's a joy. Well, it could be later. <laughs> and I come downstairs and I have plenty of really, really strong coffee and uh, say hello to my wife, who's a painter, and she's either doing something in the house or she's out in her studio in the garden. Uh, and then I switch on my computer pretty quickly and I look at what I've written the night before and I might work on it or I will write down ideas I've had when I'm going to bed. Now, I'll come to that in a, in a, in a while. Uh, and then pot around at that, try and come up with some ideas, look at my emails, answer emails, 
And then in, in the afternoon, at least half the week, I'll go and play tennis. Uh, I've got some very good friends, and we play the, the same four or five of us play all the time. And we know each other's game backwards. We play outdoors even in the coldest days of winter. And it keeps me fit, and it keeps my brain fit, because we have long conversations afterwards over coffee and cake. Uh, evening I come home, and uh, after tennis and... I'll do small work, and then supper. Watch some TV. We like to. I like watching TV. Then, about I don't know, eleven thirty. I like to see the uh, what's in the next day's newspapers. Uh, and then about midnight, I I go to my office and shut myself away, completely locked away, uh, so I can't see out the window because that's shuttered. And I work for the next three four hours. Why? Where has this come from? I've never met an author who will consciously escape and lock themselves away. At, perhaps one author, actually, but will lock themselves away at midnight and will willingly write until four in the morning. Where does this nocturnal streak come from? It's my own fault. <laughs> I started, when I started writing in uh, full time, that was in 2007. I'd, I'd tried throughout my life to be an author at the same time holding down, you know, some quite high powered jobs in in journalism. But then that we came up to Norfolk and I started writing full-time. Um, I decided I was never going to have writer's block. I was going to write a thousand words come what may. Nothing was going to stop me. I wouldn't go to bed until I'd written my thousand words. And of course it got to midnight and I hadn't written my thousand <laughs> words. So I stayed up and up and up and it just got later and later. And uh, it suits me. The thing is that my mind gets so alive at that time that I actually sometimes have to force myself to go to bed. And the problem is that when I go to bed, my my mind is still buzzing. Yeah. And I want to go to sleep, and I'm just lying there thinking, oh, God, I'm just about to nod off. And then an idea comes into my head, and I have to write it down. So I have a notebook by my bedside table. I've got to write it down, because in the past, when I said to myself, no, I'll remember that, such a good idea. And then I wake up in the morning, and where was that, that idea gone? So it's got to be written down and they sometimes are very important ideas so it's not it's not like i'm just sort of imagining they're important ideas they are important solutions to plotting problems or character problems what's interesting is when i wake up in the middle of the night two in the morning and when you're just getting started and i i will imagine i'll have this fantastic idea and then i'll scroll it down in the notepad next to my bed and then i'll read it the next morning and it's just gobbledygook it's the most illogical thing you've ever thought so i can't imagine actually having good ideas in the middle of the night how are you are you setting yourself up all day wanting to write wanting to write wanting to write and then finally being unleashed no no it doesn't work like that i mean i'm doing other things i mean there's obviously a lot of research involved so as i said i've got these hundreds of books and so I'd, in the daytime, I'm also doing a lot of reading. In fact, I might do in those in those hours late at night, I might read. Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't come straight away. You know, I've sat myself down to write at 12 o'clock and it's not coming. And so I'll read. And funny enough, you know, not to steal ideas, but somehow just having that mental stimulation, uh, things come into your mind. Sometimes when you're watching a TV programme, an idea completely unrelated to the TV programme uh, comes into your head. Something sets it off. So you've got, you need to keep stimulating yourself to be a writer, I think. You need to... You can't, just, you can't just allow your mind to drift away. How are you with hitting the thousand words every day now? 
pretty good. Sometimes 2,000, but that's pretty rare. Do, do you have a cut-off point in your evening? If, if it's, say, 4 a.m., will you go to bed, or is it you'll there write do, until, you carry, until you're there done? Do, there does come a, a cut-off point when I think I have to go to bed because, you know, I've got a game of tennis the next day. And <laughs> And no one's going to want to play with me if I'm half dead. <laughs> if you're a zombie, if you're a zonked out zombie. And there are times in there are times in midsummer where you, you know, you set off to bed at five in the morning and you find it's daylight. It's a bit, bit, bit strange. Yeah, that'd be utterly disconcerting to me. Um, listen, you've written a fair old amount of books now. The new one is Hitler's Secret. Can you talk us through a year? of writing how does your writing routine look for a year i imagine you've got it pretty locked down now if you know how your day looks so precisely i'd imagine you know what happens january through january can you just talk us through it when you will get a new idea for a story how long you'll let that breathe when you'll start to write when it needs to be in by it's not it's not that precise uh take hitler's secret uh which is the new book i that idea came to me almost fully formed in May 2018. It came to me in one day, almost fully formed, and I knew, yes, this is, I really like this idea. It involved uh, an episode from Hitler's past, which I had already knew quite a lot about, and I'd always been quite fascinated by you know, his relationship with women. These are big, important events in his life, his relationship with women. It's how he won the election in... 1933 because there were far more women in Germany at the time and they had the vote they had had the vote since 1918 and he he understood the importance of women and he appealed to them and he was very charming to them and they flocked to him but he also had some pretty deadly relationships I think the five women in his life either attempted suicide or succeeded in committing suicide there was he had some dark passions. Um, we know how Ava Brown ended up in the bunker with him in, yeah. in the end. Anyway, that idea came to me, just fully formed. And uh, I immediately knew what I'd had to do to research it. I had to go to Germany to research the, uh, uh, the northern Germany. I'd been to Berlin before, but I needed to go north of that, which is sort of not not really on the tourist trail. It's sort of a bit uh, uh, unusual areas. Old, the former East Germany, uh, up to the Baltic coast. There's a couple of specific sites I needed to see. Uh, I also had to read a lot about you know the certain women in his life and certain events in his life and certain people he was involved with. Um, so the next three months were involved in working out the synopsis to a fine detail and researching it, you know, traveling around and and reading. Uh, and then I tend to try and start writing in September. And I certainly did on the one I'm working on at the moment, which is uh, the next in the series. And I'm about three quarters of the way through that. And by now, I would expect to have written you know, most of it, if not, you know, and have a very clear idea that I'm on the home straight. So that is, splits the year probably uh, six months, six months. But in between, as well as all those things, of course, you've got all the other parts of an author's life, all the editing, 
you know, there's lots of editing goes into into anybody's book. How much time do you tend to leave to edit? Well, I edit myself first. I would certainly want to spend at least a month or two on editing my my own work before I send it off to see anybody to show anyone, and then my editor uh, will come back with suggested changes, which may be quite difficult or maybe very straightforward, depending on how it's working. Now, I tend to trust editors because they, your editor uh, wants to sell, help you sell your book. And if something is slowing down their reading of the book or something is not making sense to them, you have to listen to your editor. I would say this to any young writer, listen to your editor. It might be painful because they will want to uh, change stuff which you thought was quite good at times. They might even want to get rid of it, a whole chapter, which uh, you were quite proud of. But there's a good chance they're right. <laughs> and uh, you should uh, you should listen. Uh, and then you go through that stage, then the copy editing stage, then the proofreading stage. So you've got a lot of chances to make a, uh, uh, to alter any, any mistakes you've made or to improve the book. I know where I'm starting and I know where I'm finishing. You know, I've, I've always got a very strong idea of what the ending of the book is. Um, which I think it's unfair on a reader to lure them into a book, get them excited, and then the end just falls away. Mm. You've got to have a good ending. I think you, anybody who's got through three, three or four hundred pages of a book, they deserve uh, a good denouement, I think. So things can change between the start and the finish, though. Some characters become more interesting. Some you just kill off because you don't need them and you wonder why they're there in the first place. <laughs> when you're thinking about writing quite an exciting ending, an ending that is worth, as you say, 400 pages of a reader's time, is that quite forceful for you? If you have a fantastic idea, so when you've got the initial idea for Hitler's Secret, you then sit there and think, well, I need to have a good ending here. Yeah. How do you summon that in your mind? Uh, you doesn't always come straight away. You have to work on it. You've got a year to come up with the ideas, and you might not have uh, every every element of the book ready before you start writing it, but you get into it, and the more you get into it, the more the story comes alive to you. And so sometimes you think something's going to happen next when you're writing it, the synopsis, and you get to there, and you think, no, that couldn't happen next. It, something else has to happen. The relationship between these people becomes overpowering and you actually have to move on to the uh, take it in a slightly different different line doesn't mean you're not going to end up the same place um i sort of in the past i've likened it to uh you know someone like francis drake in the 16th century setting off to america he knows he's starting at plymouth he knows where he wants to end up in the you know in the colony of uh of, of roanoke in virginia or something uh on the way, there are a lot of storms. He gets blown this way and that. But he knows where he's starting. He knows where he's finishing. And a few people get tossed overboard as well. I guess with that analogy, the, the question would be, if you are sailing this ship, how much are you going with the storm? Or how much are you trying to navigate your boat ship so it's back on course? It depends on the book. I mean, that does vary. It does vary from book to book. Uh, some books you might pretty much stay online with Hitler's Secret stay pretty much online actually and the one I'm working on at the moment I'm sort of veering off course a bit because uh, it wasn't although I had a, I knew I had a great idea with the book I'm working on at the moment which I haven't got a title for yet I'm afraid 
I knew there were things I still had to work out before I started it. Uh, so that is changing uh, course quite a lot. But I think in a good way. I mean, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was working well. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we get back to it with Rory in a sec, just a quick update. If you have pledged to support us over on Patreon... Thank you so much for doing that. It really means a lot. And if you're hanging on for the few small treats that I've promised, it's probably because the way the months have fallen and, and when you pledged, Patreon is, is pretty insistent that I, as the creator, should only send things out after like a month has been. And I, I don't know why they do that. Maybe it's something to do with the money. But anyway, so in the changeover of the months, you might have been lost. But it's all right. I've got everything sorted. I just need to stick it in the post. So if you did it last month, you can expect it soon. If you've only just done it, you might have to wait a few more weeks. But that's all right. It's fine. If you want to be on the list of people who's getting some stuff, you need to pledge to support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. It means so much that you are thinking of helping out the show. It helps us bring you as many episodes with as many different authors as frequently as we can just a couple of dollars a month not even that it goes a really long way you can support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine anything that you give uh, i would really be grateful for it's not the only way that you can help out this show if you're on apple podcasts please make sure you've left a review we've been going on for a couple of years now if you've not done that uh, it just takes like a, a few seconds of your time please do let everyone know what you think it helps other people who need the advice of our authors find the advice of our authors uh, you can let me know what you think on twitter as well give us a follow it's at writers pod and you can always get in touch with the show over at writersroutine.com. i'm anthony horowitz and the one tip i'd give you to change the way you write is this see the shape of what you're going to write by which i mean whether it's a short story a poem a novel whatever it is you're going to write has got a shape to it a beginning a middle and end uh once you can see that shape and visualize the novel or whatever it is you're writing i think it somehow becomes easier to write
Right, let's get back to it with Rory Clements talking about his new book, Hitler's Secret. It's a thrilling mystery inside Nazi Germany. And in this half, we talk about his job as an author to keep the reader reading and how he goes about trying to do that. We also chat about how he knows when to reveal key moments in the plot. When does he twist? When does he stick? And we pick things up talking about when he had that very first idea for the new book, Hitler's Secret. And it was it was in the morning. It was actually 8th of May 2018. And I remember the day. And I know it's actually the anniversary of the end of the war, wasn't it? 8th of May 1945, which had nothing to do with it. But it just, it did come to me. And I just thought, where's that idea come from? And why have I, why, where, why have I had that idea? And is it an idea somebody else has had? And the more I thought about it, and I talked with my editor and my and my agent, and it wasn't something that had come from anywhere, really. I don't know where ideas come from. I think if I knew that, then I'd probably be able to package it and sell it <laughs> if there was a, a magic way of coming up with ideas. It, it's the ultimate thing that you learn doing this. I don't think anyone ever figures out how these ideas it's come. Did you know everything that's in this or did you just have that one pitch line of this is what the secret will be no i had i had uh, not every line no i had to other bits filled in but it was a matter of just filling in what was already a pretty strong skeleton uh, it was fleshing out a skeleton a, a very firm skeleton and this is part of a series it is yeah when you were sitting there on the on the 8th of may and you had this idea was the idea the the general flow of of the plot, as in the reveal, the the twist, actually what it's about, or is it that Tom Wilde is given this package which he needs to smuggle? He's he's got to go to Germany and and be given a package which he's got to bring back to this country, and it proves a lot more difficult than he's led to believe. So that's the idea that you have. Mm-hmm. When do you and then, then? And then he gets back to he does eventually get on his way back to England. And he begins to wonder whether he really wants to hand over this package because he's not sure that it's the right thing to do. When do you decide as a writer when the reader is going to find out what's in that package? Uh, yes, it's quite early on. I mean, not, it's, it's, you, you, you know quite early on. You'd know uh, certainly within the first 60 or 70 pages, I think. It's not too long in. And you mentioned how much research you do for this. Where do you start? They're, they're very research-heavy, my books, but I hope that in, res- in, in having a lot of research that I don't start lecturing people. I don't <laughs> want to give people a lecture on the wall. But where do you start with the research? Where, where, do you, where do you go when it's a topic like this, which you're sure in fiction form anyway hasn't been written about before? Where do you, where do you go with it? How do you know where to begin? Um... Well, I, there are real characters involved, so I need to find out about them. There are real uh, problems involved that I need to work out. A, how in late autumn 1941 can American, which Tom Wilde is American citizen, how can he get into Germany? I mean, just the practicality of how he gets to Germany. Then, how practically can you get out of Germany and then get back to England these are really difficult problems to overcome because you can make yourself look very stupid if you get it wrong. Um, and so you you find out that actually there were routes in, in autumn 1941, this is just before America joined the war. 
So there's no reason why an American couldn't get there. But they had to get over through, through occupied territory to get there. So to get there from England, where, where Tom Wilder is a professor of history at Cambridge, to Germany, that, that in itself uh, takes a lot of research, working out how that might have happened. And then getting out again, you have to work out what was feasible. You say you can get across the border to Switzerland, maybe, but Switzerland then was a, was surrounded by uh, occupied German and Italian occupied territory. These things are not easy. I've always wondered when a writer has got a big story to tell, when there's a big moment in a story, uh, perhaps you know when you're J.K. Rowling and you're writing the final Harry Potter book. There's a lot of pressure there. How? much pressure did you feel about getting what happens in this story right i feel a lot of pressure i think it's i think it's far worse for uh authors than it is for filmmakers i think filmmakers are far far looser with the with reality than authors authors really try very very hard to get 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 things accurate because there is you're going to be picked up very quickly whereas you know, we went to watch 1917 at the weekend. You know, have you seen the film yet? I have not. I was thinking of going to watch it tonight. No, it's great fun. I enjoyed, okay. I enjoyed it very much. But it's full of holes. I mean, and but if, when you're watching a film, you don't really care about it. But I think people care more about it. If you come across something in a book that doesn't make sense, it can wreck the whole book for you. But, it, you know, seeing the holes in 1917 at the cinema didn't wreck the film for me. Absent of plot holes, though, the moment when we find yeah. out what the secret is, this is an odd denouement that's actually, six, six, as you said, 60 yeah. pages in. Uh, how, how do you feel and how worried are you about getting that reveal right? Um, yeah, this, this, this comes down to getting the timing right. Uh, Realising that you can't just... In this case, you couldn't... It wasn't a sort of reveal you could leave to the end. Mm. It had to come quite early on. But at the same time, you know... If, for historical fiction and crime fiction thrillers, they're all about release of information. It's when you release your information. You have to keep releasing information, uh, otherwise people get bored and think, well, he's not going to tell me anything. But you don't want to release all your information at one go. I've, re I've listened to some of your other podcasts, which are excellent, if I may say oh, so. Oh, thank you. And I've noted, you know, other, other authors will have told you the same thing. It is about release of information. That is the whole, that's the whole secret of thriller writing or crime writing. You have to keep revealing information, but don't let it all out at one go. It's probably obvious in a way. Uh, I've read books where people are very, very slow to reveal and too slow, and you get and you fall and it falls away. You need to you need to keep. Some people do it very obviously at the end of every chapter. You say you have a quick a reveal at the end of every chapter, which makes you want to read the next chapter. Uh, I, I hope I'm not quite that formulaic, but some of them do look a bit formulaic in that way. When you're writing about characters in the Third Reich, which you have done in this book, mm. what responsibility do you have to portray them as they were, as well, clearly mean and evil as they were, and how much are you trying to paint another side of their picture to make them rounded for an audience? Yeah, there are there are two sides to people I mean they're not you know as I said earlier you know Hitler could be an incredibly charming man uh, and in the 1930s everyone knew he was a bit thuggish they knew the Nazis were thugs 
but no one knew what they were going to do in the war when it came. Then no one knew they think you're putting in death camps for heaven's sake. Uh, so compared with some other tyrants in history, perhaps in the 30s, they didn't look that bad. And you have to bear that in mind. You know, a lot of people went over from Britain to Germany, met Hitler, and were charmed by him. You know, Lloyd George called him the greatest German of his age. And Lloyd George was a, had been a liberal prime minister of this country. So you have to write about these people as of their time, not with the hindsight of what they ended up doing. Because they they did charm their own people. They got them to f millions of Germans to follow them. There must have been something about them. Hitler must have had a charisma, a dark charisma, as uh, you know. I think there, there was a TV program called The Dark Charisma of Hitler. But it, certainly he had charisma. If you have someone who has done such abhorrent things, should they be portrayed in any positive light? I think you can get away with portraying Hitler in whatever you like. Like you, you want to actually. I don't think you owe him anything. <laughs> That's my feeling about him. Uh, but at the same time, you owe your readers to make people interesting in their own way, even in their how evil they are. I mean, the 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 villain who you come across immediately in this is a chap called Martin Borman. Uh, there's very little you could say that's good about him. He uh, Hitler thought he was fantastic, but nobody else liked him in Germany. Uh, he was little known in Germany, in fact, during the war, because he was just there at Hitler's side doing everything he wanted to do. Every order Hitler uh, made was carried out basically by Bormann. And he could he had complete control over the you know, access to Hitler. His own ministers, people like Goebbels and Himmler and people, couldn't get to Hitler except through Bormann. So they loathed him. They absolutely loathed him. And you instantly portray him as being fairly hateful right in the first page yeah. because you describe him as, you know, he sat there and I can't remember the line you use. The only time he doesn't smoke is when he's... He was a chain smoker. That was not. I didn't have to make that up. He was a chain smoker. But I can't remember. I think you used the line, the only time he's not smoking is when he's asleep or when he's chatting to Hitler. Yeah. Um, Hitler. And that immediately makes you know exactly what this character is like. How much do you think about when you're writing a, a villain like that, uh, of describing him quickly to a, a, a reader so that we instantly know, right, I know what this dude's well, about. Well, I wouldn't, I don't want to make them sound like a, a Bond villain, I mean, but that is just the way Borman was. I mean, everything I've read about him, and I've read an awful lot about him, it, it, that's what he was. He was uh, very obsequious to Hitler. He would, uh, he took notes of every, every word that Hitler said, you know, he was, he was secretary, he was factotum, he was uh, organiser, he did everything for him. He made it work. Hitler said that uh, he only wished he had a dozen Bormans. You've got to make people read the next word, then you've got to make them read the next page. So our job as authors to make people read our books. It's not, it's not the reader's job to uh, try and work out what we're trying to say. How do you do that? Uh, make it straightforward. Uh, try and... Uh, be uh, absolutely clear, interesting. If you can't, if you're not interested in it yourself as a writer, the, you can't expect the reader to be interested in it. So you have to think. I mean, I think I'm lucky in that I came from a world of newspapers, uh, where you had to. One of the first things you learn is 
you've got to tell the story basically in the first paragraph. People don't read the second paragraph. That's what editors always used to tell me. Whether there's any truth, now, of course you do sometimes read the second and you go down to the end of the story. But you've got to catch people's interest. You've also got to know what's a good story. I mean, the old thing about, you know, dog bites man, that's not a story. Man bites dog, that's a story. Uh, you, so I've, over the years, I've have it having worked as a sort of cutting edge of newspapers in the editorial room, I've known what makes a good story, but come to learn very quickly what makes a good story. And I hope those come across in my books that I understand what interests people. People has been said in the past that it doesn't matter where it happens in the world, people are always interested and horrified in any story with a, of a shark attack. Even though we don't get shark attacks in this country, no one is threatened in this country by a shark attack. But there's something visceral about a shark that that feeds into all our fears. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Rory Clements for coming on the show, telling us all about his brand new book, Hitler's Secret. You can find out more about it over on the website. It's writersroutine.com. While you're there, make sure you get in touch with the show. Really easy to find contact form. You can shout out to me as well on Twitter. We are at writerspod. Uh, also, uh, let me know what you think as a review over on the Apple Podcast Store. In that instance, uh, only if you think good things about the show. If you don't think anything nice about the show, well, just don't listen, really. I mean, uh, if you, for some reason, want to continue listening, I don't know why you would subject yourself to this if you don't like it. But anyway, just don't just don't let me know. Keep it to yourself. Thank you very much. Uh, if you like the show enough, I'm rambling. If you like the show enough uh, to help us out, please do uh, pledge us what you can. Uh, chuck us a dollar or so every month over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It helps me bring you these shows with as many successful writers as I can as frequently as I can. That's patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Now, next week, we're back talking to Louise Hare, all about her debut novel, This Lovely City, which explores London in the past. Uh, And I will see you then with Louise Hare on Writer's Routine. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.